Let's take our Bibles. We'll turn to the book of Romans. And we'll be moving through Romans as we go through this topical study on the law, the gospel, and the law. And we're going to try to figure out the use of the law for the Christian. So, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's pray and then let's consider this together. Father, as we get a chance to look into your word again, we pray that what you've said would be plain to us, would encourage us, and would, Lord, change us. We pray that you would work in our hearts to bring forth fruit for your glory through the work of the Spirit in each one of our hearts. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I found myself in my attic yesterday. We've been doing work on the bathroom, and in the course of that, a lot of things made their way up to the attic, and we've slowly been bringing them back down. But when you typically go to the attic, it's like going on a trip uh, to a museum of ancient history at times. (laughs) You have boxes of trinkets and mementos that they make you smile when you look through them, but in an attic, you have things like the ancient Palm Pilot electronic <laughs> organizer of the early you know, 2000s, things that are obsolete that will forever be gone and in a box. And uh, the things that are in the attic typically stay in the attic. And that mentality of the old can be true for Christians. You see, sometimes we can rummage through the Old Testament come across the law of God and wonder, what should I do with this? What should I do with God's law? Does God's law really have any use for the believer today? Well, last week we defined and distinguished the law and the gospel. And we saw that the law cannot save anyone because no one has kept it perfectly. Romans 3.20 says this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, that is to be declared righteous, in his sight, in the sight of God. So, in contrast to the works of the law, is the gospel, which one hears and believes unto salvation. Across the page at chapter 4, verse 5. It says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Of course, the one who is righteous will be justified in God's sight. And the difference between those two is where is the faith placed? If one trusts the law, he's depending on his own works. If one trusts the gospel, he's depending on Christ's work on his behalf. And we see that those two options in Romans 10.3 where it says, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and on the other hand, and seeking to establish their own righteousness. So the point is, are you seeking to be saved by establishing your own righteousness or trusting in Christ's righteousness? Now, we have already seen that when challenged to avert destruction, A person's only hope is the gospel. That's the only way he can be saved. And then the question is, well, as a believer in that gospel, does God have any requirements for us now? 
Does God's law play any part in our lives? And one with a monicum of Bible knowledge would say, well, no. The law is not part of a believer's life because the Bible says you are not under the law, but under grace. And the Bible says you have died to the law. Now, it might seem that God has no requirements, no expectations, no law for a person who believes the gospel. But is that really true? Well, those questions and that idea of we have no relationship to the law, the things that Paul mentioned, it really takes his words out of context. And it leads to people believing that you don't have to have the law. You can just have anarchy. So the question is, are there aspects of the law that truly have been done away with? Well, yes, there are some things that have been done away with. We are not under the condemning effect of the law. Romans 8 says, chapter 8, verse 1, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because Christ became a curse for us. We talked about this last week, Galatians 3.13. says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the gospel. Because of the law, we were in debt. We are under the punishment of death. The wages of sin is death. And Christ died in our stead, taking upon himself God's wrath. So there remains now no wrath of God towards us because it's been spent on Christ. So we're not under the condemning effect of the law. We're also not under the commanding force of the Mosaic law. Israel was unique people of God by his choosing and by the covenant. And to them, to the people of Israel, God gave his law. And the Jews' kosher life and worship set them apart from the nations. Yet when Christ died on the cross, that changed things. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 say this, For Christ himself is our peace. Who made us both, that's Jews and Gentiles, both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Well, how did Jesus do that? He did that by means of abolishing the law. Which one? The law of Moses, the content of which are the commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So here's the picture. When Jesus died on the cross, He abolished every barrier between man and God and between man and his fellow man. Christ fulfilled the intents of the law set forth in the Jewish ceremonies. So we don't have to be kosher to become Christians. All you have to do is repent and believe the gospel. So what had made Jew and Gentile distinct before no longer is to be the case. That wall has been broken down. The only thing that needs to be done is to repent and believe. So we're not under the commanding force of the Mosaic Law. Thirdly, we're not under the power of sin of the law. Romans 6.14 says this. Back of page 6.14, it says, Sin will not have dominion over you. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. And here's the point. Under the law, when a person is under the law, 
Sin has dominion over him. Sin is his master. But when someone is under grace, sin no longer has dominion. So here's the point there. There's been a change of realms. One is the realm of the law, and the other is the realm of grace. In the realm of the law, sin has dominion. In the realm of grace, sin does not have dominion. And for a believer, he has changed realms. The question then is, when you change realms, does that mean you change rules? Well, only the rules that would make us Jewish, those ones are changed. But the ones that make us more like the ruler remain. Look at Romans 7, 4 through 6. Romans 7, 4 through 6, likewise, which that picks up on Paul's argument that he makes earlier in the passage about a widow, someone who is married, whose husband dies, is she still bound in her marriage? Is she able to marry again freely? Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may, here's the point, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now watch the contrast. For while... We were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, there's the contrast, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. There's your parallel to the uh, widow marriage illustration in the beginning of the chapter. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So the point then is we are to bear fruit for God. We do have a responsibility to bear fruit. The Spirit of God will work in our hearts and our lives in such a way that it becomes evident in our thoughts, our words, and our actions that we have the fruit of the Spirit that we love, we have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Seeing that we've been planted by God, we will inevitably bear those qualities of God. And they're not ours because we chose all by ourselves to memorize them and manufacture them. No, they're fruit of the Spirit. So instead... We should give ourselves to what the Spirit would do in our life. But what I want you to notice is in that list of the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one on the list? It's interesting that the first one on the list is exactly how Jesus summarized the law. Love. The law is to love, which we have utterly failed to do. We've utterly failed to love God and love our neighbor as a means of loving God. But to answer the question plainly of whether the law is of any use to the Christian, I want you to think about what John wrote in 1 John 4.19. And we'll close with this. 1 John 4.19. This is where it says, We love because he first loved us. So we love, which is the law, because he first loved us, which is the gospel. 
Now last week I made the point that the law shouts love and the gospel sings loved. Now what comes after the gospel song? Well, the Spirit's fruit of love, which is the fulfillment of the law. It's the law of Christ. Galatians 5.14 says, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So is that law for a Christian still to be used? Is, is the law still to be used by the Christian today? Does a Christian need to love his neighbor? Does he need to worship only one God? Of course he does. Now, many things in the attic are old things, and we wouldn't imagine bringing them downstairs. Our current smartphone isn't going to be replaced by the ancient PDA, the corded phone, and the desktop computer. Yet at times, some old things might come down the stairs. And what ought to make it for a believer are the rules that makes a person more like the ruler who made the rules. Love ought to make it down the stairs. We love. That's what the text says. We keep the law. We love because he first loved us. And the progress truly is the shout of love, the song of loved, and the fruit of love. Love, loved, love. And it's really quite that simple when it comes to the law, the gospel, and the law. Father, help us as we consider this to realize that we are recipients of your grace, but being under grace and recipients of grace does not mean that we should sin, that grace may abound. Instead, Lord, we should live lives that bear fruit for you. We should live lives that, as you stated plainly, show we love you and thus fulfill the law. And, uh, Father, we pray that you will solidify our hearts each day to respond as the Apostle John said it so simply and so plainly, that we love. We love you, we love others, because you first loved us. And may we be committed to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.